Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. And I want to invite you to stand just for a minute if you're brand new and put your hand on your heart. We, we just say some things about us that God says about us to start this part in the service. The words will be on the screen. Say this with me. I declare that I'm created in the image of God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion. I declare that 2021 is my year of possible. Things that have been impossible in my past are being overtaken by what is possible in my future. I declare that 2021 is a year of divine conjunction where God has been and is working all things together from my past and present for my future good. I declare that according to Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I declare this year, 2021, with God, all things are possible. I declare that as I am taught the word of God and apply it, that I am wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Give yourselves a big hand. You can be seated. It's uh, so, so glad, like such, such a great day. I'm gonna try not to mess up whatever's happening right now. And we just need to let God move. We might just need to give Pastor Vicki the whole, that was powerful. Thank you for your obedience and sharing that. Grace to it, like take this mountain down, shoot. Man, I'm Josh, by the way, one of the pastors here. If you're new to our church, uh, we just really wanna welcome you. This is an encouraging atmosphere and atmosphere of faith. You know, the church is not a place. The church is people. Uh, sometimes we go to church, but we're really, we're really supposed to be the church. So if you're new, we want you to know we want to be your best friend. We want to do life with you. And there's a really easy way to get connected. You heard Whitney and Clay kind of, but mostly Whitney, say the number earlier that we have, 972-945-9772. That's actually our number as a church. We want to connect with you, get to know you, pray for you. If you text that number, it's not an automated thing. It's not just some random thing. There's actually people that are there to connect with you, pray with you, answer any questions you might have, whatever, whatever it is that you need. And if you're brand new or you're watching this and you're new, text the words VIP, the letter VIP. That's not words, those are letters. But those are words, very important person, so it's both. Anyway, <laughs> text the letters VIP to that number and we'll just connect with you. And we'll also give you $5 just for texting us if you're new and really glad that you're here. So let's give our first time guests a big hand, family. We love y'all. And um, you're, if you're coming to our church for the first time, or maybe you're coming back for the first time in a long time, you're here at a really interesting point in our history because this series and this month um, and what God's doing in our church represent what we call uh, a relaunch, a restart. This isn't like a refresh. This isn't like, hey, God's doing uh, more things. This is God's doing a completely new thing in our church. And We've been spending some time, we'll be spending some time talking about that over the past couple weeks. But if you want context for where we're at as a church, um, you can go back and watch last week's message. But even more important than going back and watching a message, there's a YouTube, there's a story in our YouTube channel um, called Presley and Beverly's Story. And that gives you a perspective of where we're headed as a church. And a lot of us were probably in the room last weekend whenever we shared that story. And it's so powerful, this idea of God wanting us to leave a legacy and mentor people and pour into young people, because that's what we're committing to do as a church like never before, is what does it look like? If you're a Christian, you, you maybe should ask yourself this question. 
What does it look like when we have an entire generation of people that are sold out to fulfilling the Great Commission, the mission that God gave us to raise disciples? Um, we believe we can truly change the world if we do that, that we can look at these mountains that we face in life and we can carve out a new path for the future. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about this. He says, do to others, this is a golden rule, right? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Then he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full, abundant life. The Greek word that Jesus uses there is zoe. It means life beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine. It's life that is truly life. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter seven that the way to access that life which is truly life is by choosing the most difficult way. A way of affliction. <laughs> that's, what he, that's the word that he uses. To cause distress. You know, the, the, the term is to press together like grapes whenever you're making wine. To change everything about it. So Jesus is like, yeah, man, I came to give you life and life to the full. And if you're a Christian, the honest truth is you and I, we like to stop right there. Life to the full, down for that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going I'm to go uh, to McDonald's. They got orange lava verse back, and that's my favorite drink. I'm, not that y'all care, but I care. Uh, I really do want to go to McDonald's, though, for real. <laughs> Sorry. Just let that, let that get out. But... Jesus doesn't stop saying, I've come to give you life that's truly life. He goes, the, the way to that life will cost you everything. The way to that life is affliction for you and difficulty and trials and turmoil and all kinds of issues. And then the way to hell is also not a really great way. It might seem easy, but it's not. So there's the hard way, which is the broad way that Jesus talks about. And then there's the impossible way. There's the way that's completely impossible. You know, when I was a kid, my dad used to, used to call me this, and you might have kids that feel this, that are this way. And so this is a really great way to say something that's not maybe super great about your kids. Um, and that's wonderfully difficult. Like, I was a wonderfully difficult child. On one hand, I was like, I guess, a really sweet kid. On the other hand, just very hard to deal with. Stubborn and whatever, and I'm sure my parents could tell you a bunch more negative qualities about me than I could probably tell you standing up here. But in life, Jesus doesn't call us into a life that's just wonderful. He doesn't just call, like this idea of abundance, like God come, Jesus, you can read that in John chapter 10. I've come that you might have life, life to the full, abundance. And sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, here's what God wants. Here's how I interpret that. God wants me to just have a really easy life and also be very wealthy and never have a struggle and nothing ever go bad in my relationships and I'm never unhealthy and nothing wrong ever happens to me. The first part's true. Jesus wants me to have a wonderful life. And then Matthew chapter seven is also true where he's like, and it really is hard. Well, hang on. That's not like America Jesus though. 
Because America Jesus is like, I need it in the fast food line and um, I need it really quick. I need it soon. I need to microwave it. I need to make it happen. I need it to fit within my schedule. I need to not have to reorient things around whatever like your priorities are. Because I have a lot going on. Like I have kids in school and then I got, you know, the sports and these different things that I want out of life. And, you know, Jesus like, don't tell me it's difficult because if it's difficult, then I might not want to do it. And if I don't want to do it, what does that look like for me? Um, that's, that's the tension that we live in that we should live in, that Jesus invites us into. Like if you have this idea and this concept in your mind of what it means to follow Jesus, you cannot attach that to this Americanized version of life where we're entitled to all kinds of different things. Because what Jesus does is he actually breaks down everything that we would feel entitled to and says not only should you not have those things, you should willingly walk away and choose, not the hard way. Because the hard way is the way most of us live anyway. You should choose the impossible way. You should choose the most difficult way. You know, Pastor Keith, he had this saying that he said in a men's environment not too long ago. And uh, it's at the end of your notes if you're on our notes page online. Uh, but I want to read it to you because I want to paint this picture, okay? Being your best is hard. Being normal is hard. Making wise decisions is hard. Making bad decisions is hard. Being in shape is hard. I can't raise my hand on that one. Being out of shape is hard. I can raise my hand there. Orange lava burst. <laughs> Losing weight is hard. Being fat is hard. Working out is hard. Being weak is hard. Being disciplined is hard. Being lazy is hard. Getting out of your comfort zone is hard. Staying in your comfort zone is hard. Starting a business is hard. Working for someone else is hard. Making a lot of money is hard. Making a little bit of money is hard. Being rich is hard. Being poor is hard. Having great relationships is hard. Having bad relationships is hard. Having friends is hard. Having no friends is hard. Fighting for your marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Having a lot of things is hard. Having nothing is hard. Living on purpose is hard. Living off purpose is hard. Doing life God's way is hard. Matthew 7. Doing life your own way is hard. Everything is hard. Choose your hard. Yay. See, like that was not, that was not the clap we were getting during worship. We were like breaking down mountains and stuff. It's like really what we want to do is go, God, just like I see that mountain. And why don't you move it? And I'm just going to pull up a chair and watch what God does. And that's not really the life that God invites us into. There are times where God steps into our world and he moves a mountain for us only so that we can go climb another one. Because he doesn't move every mountain. There's some mountains he moves and then he's like, that's yours though. Like Caleb, uh, who, was, who was Joshua's friend in the Bible, he was 80 years old. And they were giving out land to all the people that had taken the promised land, right? You might have heard this story before, but they were giving out land to all the people that had taking the promised land. And Caleb said, give me that mountain. I'm 80. I want that mountain because I want to climb the mountain. That's the life that Jesus invites us into. Not a life of fields and prairies and everything's manicured and taken care of. A wild life, an unchartered life, a life that's in territory that we've never been before going, God has built me to conquer this. God has built me to overcome this. I'm supposed to do this. 
But if we don't have that mentality, we'll go through life thinking that the difficult things we experience are not of God. And most of the time, at least in my life, in my experience, the hardest things that I have been through, the hardest things that I've experienced, the most difficult things that confront me in my life are the things that God has used and continues to use. And so God invites us into the impossible way. Let's go. So there's this guy, his name is Victor Plymeyer. This is a picture of him. In 1908, he moved to Tibet, northern China, and was the first known missionary to Tibet. He converted his first Tibetan to Christianity after 16 years of living there. Awesome, way to go, you're really winning. <laughs> in, this, in his 19th year, 19 years into living in Tibet, his only son who was six years of age and his wife named Grace died within one week of each other from smallpox. Man, God is with us. We are feeling the momentum here. Like we're really just doing a work. It's like powerful, all the things God's doing. Saving one person after 16 years and my whole family died. Yay. So then, then in Tibet, because they were superstitious about him, they'd never seen a non-Tibetan before. Because they were superstitious about him and they didn't trust him, the town wouldn't let him bury his family in the cemetery in, that, that in, the, in the town. So he bought a small plot of land overlooking the Tibetan hillside uh, right outside of town. And it was the middle of winter in Tibet. I'm not sure if you've heard about Tibetan winters, but they're pretty wild. And he only had enough strength to dig one grave through the frozen ground for both his wife and his son. So he continued to crisscross Tibet, sharing Tibetan New Testaments and living in a hostile world. And he went to these, these places that are monasteries, but they call them lamasteries. In, um, in Tibetan Buddhism. And these priests lived way up in the Himalayas and he would try to gain an audience with them. And some of these monasteries were as, were as big as cities. There's one I've actually been to that's massive. I mean, it's, it's huge, the amount of monks and there's thousands of monks that live in these lamasteries, lamasteries in Tibet. And here's what he says in his diary. He says, I was able to gain an entrance to one of the larger lamasteries in Eastern Tibet and here I was able to sell some 3,000 portions of the Word of God. It shows you how many people live there. The lamas were wild indeed, and only God kept them from stoning us. Wow, oh, he's really moving, isn't he? One extended trip was made among the Tibetans, and on this trip, the Tibetans wanted to kill us again, <laughs> but the Lord was our preserver. So I don't know about you, but at this point, I'd be strongly reconsidering whether or not God was in this. God, isn't this supposed to be like, like you sent me here, bro. Like you told, like I felt like you said, let's go to Tibet. And I felt like what that meant was like, you're going to bring all the resources and the people and the doors were going to be open and we were just going to make it happen. In the calendar year from 1927 to 1928, oh, I missed the picture there. Anyway, in a calendar year from 1927 to 1928, he crisscrossed northern Tibet, and he went from northeast Tibet all the way to Calcutta, India, preaching the gospel. It's over 2,000 miles. And during this particular trip, uh, he, he says he reached about one or, two, one or two people at a time. He tells this, he says this in his diary. He says, one year, and, and one year after leaving my station in Tibet, many thousands have heard the gospel for the first time. 
Time alone will reveal the results of this trip into those unknown parts. Yes, there is already a little fruit for my old faithful yak driver accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You go 2,000 miles, spend a year of your life, and you're like at the end of it going, hey, like one person, one person after a whole year and 2,000 miles of crisscrossing all kinds of mountains, being afraid of the mountains falling down on us, avalanches, the whole deal. My yak driver that I spent a year with decided at the end, hey, I think I'll join you on that journey. In 1930, Victor Plymeyer had a heart attack and he had to go back to America for treatment. So it's really working out at this point. Uh, in 1932, uh, Victor's cousin, Elizabeth, and her husband, George, uh, came with him. Her husband, George, was my great-grandfather. And they traveled on a timber raft. So maybe what you can't see as well in this picture is these are just logs that are loosely tied together. And they floated on these logs, logs up the Yellow River all the way from Beijing to Tibet. It took 24 days for them to travel up the Yellow River. So Victor has a heart attack, goes home, somehow recruits his cousin into this thing that's not working. Okay, hey, like, come with me. I just had a heart attack doing this. And I'm reaching like one or two people at a time in a year. But it's going to be awesome. They get there float on a raft 24 days up the Yellow River, <clears throat> up the Yellow River to Tibet. One of the expeditions that they went on, these are all pictures that, that uh, Victor Plummeyer took, by the way. One of the expeditions that they went on, they were up in the mountains, and my great-grandfather George was invited to eat a meal with the chief monk in a lamasery. Now, this was a huge deal. If you reached the chief monk, you could potentially reach the whole lamasery with the gospel. So he was able to talk with them about God and they, they seemed to be really open and listen to him. And he shared some Tibetan New Testaments with them. On their way back to camp, which was about 30 minutes outside of the lamasery, he got, he got so sick that he had to stop. He had to get off his horse and stop and camp. And he realized at that moment as he was camping that he had been poisoned. And as it got worse and worse, he started to lose consciousness. And uh, he broke his watch. He took his watch and he broke it so that people, when they found him, could know what time he died. The next day, so he passed out, right, thinking he was dying. The next day he woke up, felt absolutely fine. Of course, the way these people are, he went back to the monks. I'd be like, I'm out. Thank you, God. I'm taking that 24-day journey and I'm going home to where I can minister in the buckle of the Bible belt. That's what I'm for. <laughs> he went back to the monks. And they were, they were blown away, they were surprised. And the chief, the chief monk said to him that they gave him enough poison to kill 10 men. And if this God could keep him alive, then this is the real God. Isn't that crazy? So he makes the journey home. He makes the journey home back to his wife, Elizabeth, and discovers that at the same time he had broken his watch and lost consciousness, God had woken my great-grandmother up and she prayed all night for his safety. Eventually... Both my great-grandparents and the Plymeyers built uh, churches that were very large considering the communities that they were in. After 40 years for Victor and 15 years for my great-grandpa George, they each had churches of more than 200 people and would sometimes see people come to, come to Jesus, 20 to 30 people at a time. In, uh, in 1943, Victor's second wife had a heart attack, forcing her and the kids to return to the United States of America. 
Victor himself had another heart attack. And in 1949, during the, the, the communist revolution, what the Chinese call the cultural revolution, they were forced to leave the country for good. And the church and mission property that Victor had built himself was confiscated uh, by the Chinese government. And uh, in 1991, Fast forward, they come home and they can't go back. And not, not that you would know a lot about the history of communism in China, but what happened when Mao, when Mao Zedong took power in China, they took uh, all of the land from anybody who was foreign and gave it to the Chinese government. In fact, there weren't any, no one was allowed to privately own land in China anymore. Um, anyone who was not Chinese had to leave for fear of death. And what, what, what the Chinese call the Cultural Revolution happened, and that's that they eliminated every, they tried their best to eliminate every part of Chinese history from China. Because if it wasn't Marxist or Leninist exactly, then we're completely getting rid of it. So they just destroyed shrines and fortresses and all kinds of art and beautiful things. And so that was all happening during, during 1949 where my, my great-grandpa, my grandpa, their family, Victor and his family had to all escape and never went back. You know, Victor came and he, he died in the United States of America not knowing uh, whether or not anything was happening in Tibet. Spent 40 years of his life there. Was just start, it was just starting to work. Like he's just starting to ke- catch and I'm just starting to see the fruit of all the stuff that I've worked on and then I'm gone forever. In 1991, some of the children of these people right here, some of the children of the original church members wanted to reopen the church. They decided, you know, like my, my parents raised me in a Christian family and as communi- communism started to lose its hold a little bit in China, um, they were more open to all these different kind of religions and ideas and Western thought. And the Chinese government though said no to these people because they had no proof that the buildings that they claimed to own were ever, were ever used by a church. All the records were destroyed, everything was lost. And so what the Chinese government said was that if whoever's in this building right now, that's who gets to be there. There was a church building that they had built and there was a home and mission compound that Victor had built by hand. So they looked for, they spent so many years looking for any evidence that existed that could prove that the buildings and property belonged to the church and not to an individual person. Because even though they could prove that some of that stuff belonged to Victor, they're not really super cool about giving that back to a Westerner. So the only, they only found one thing, and that's the deed to the gravesite of Victor's son and his first wife. So when Victor had bought the property, he deeded it to the church and not in his own name. And it proved that the organization of the church existed and they were allowed to start over again in the very place where it was more than 100 years before. And so this guy in the middle of this picture, his name's David, and that's him standing at the gravesite of his older brother and his dad's first wife in the 90s after they discovered the, the deed to that plot of land. And in 2012, uh, me and my family, we actually all got to go together to see all of this stuff. Now, to, now to, to, to kind of provide you the end of the story here, David Plymeyer, who's in this picture, he's now in his 90s, uh, has built hospitals. There's a city called Xining. And in Xining, no Westerners, no Westerners are allowed to enter that city without Chinese government approval because of all the military stuff that takes place there. 
And uh, not, not that you and I know a lot about geopolitics, but China has a hard time uh, acknowledging that countries like Taiwan exist or Hong Kong's independent or uh, even Tibet was ever a thing. And so China's, China does not call Tibet Tibet. China calls Tibet Northern China. And so you're not allowed as a Westerner to enter Tibet because they don't want people being aware of what's, what's happening there. So because of David Plymeyer and Victor Plymeyer and their family, uh, David has built all kinds of hospitals in that area. He's given $100 million med- medical machines to that, to that area. We were in one particular hospital where um, they had a museum dedicated to the Plymeyer family. Now, they don't, they're not allowed to preach the gospel because in China, you're not allowed to, as a Westerner, proselytize for any religion. It has to be you know, uh, Chinese speaking to Chinese. So he's not allowed to do anything. He's not allowed to preach or speak or do whatever, but they're more than glad to take medical care. They're more than glad to let you build a hospital. They're more than glad to let you build a school. They're more than glad to let you like, do something that serves the people as long as you don't push your religion on us. So years and years later, Victor never knew if it worked. At his life, at the end of his life, he just he gave his all to Tibet and had to leave in 1949. He died a few years later in the 50s and never knew if, if his family could ever go back, never knew if anything was going to happen. And his son picked up the mantle and we were allowed to come into Xining, China because not just of David Plymeyer, but because of the legacy that Victor had built that David continued on. And to this day, we support David Plymeyer and their ministry every month, what they're doing in Tibet. But it's not just Victor and David, it's my family too. It was my great grandpa that joined Victor and it was my great grandmother, Elizabeth, that, that went with him. And so in life, we go through life. And if we look at Jesus calls us into the difficult way. He calls us into the difficult way that creates the abundant life, that creates the Zoe life, life to the full. Now, if you read the story of Victor Plymeyer's life, I don't know how that seems like abundance to me. Heart attacks, my family's dying, no one's getting reached, our pet's heads are falling off. It's a mess. There's no way that looks like an abundant life. But God's the one that's telling the story. God's the one that's got the plan. In life, it's not your and my plan. It's not us sitting together going, hey, here's how I want my life to look in the grand scheme of things. It's God saying, hey, I'm inviting you into Jesus himself in Matthew chapter seven. I want you to live this kind of life. I want you to live the wonderful life, but it will be difficult because it's supposed to be wonderfully difficult. Proverbs chapter three in the Old Testament says this, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He will direct your steps. You know, last week we talked a lot about the Great Commission and we talked about how as a church we're selling out to this thing. What we also have to do is sell out to the impossible way. Because it's not just, hey, let's go make disciples. Let's go into the world and just make disciples and teach them all these different things. What Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 
was go and make disciples and teach them to obey all of the things that I've commanded you. And so if you follow Jesus, there's actually things he's commanded out of you in scripture. So these aren't things that like you just heard one day that are things God said. These are things actually in scripture in Matthew chapter 22 and actually right here in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus gives us what we call the great commandment. And the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus goes down this whole road and he says the greatest law in, that can exist is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If you wanna think about the most impossible way to live, it's seeking to love everybody the way that God loves them. Jesus says in Matthew 7, broad is the way that leads to a bad life. And if you wanna live a bad life, don't love people. If you wanna live a bad life, understand that there's all kind of excuses and reasons why you should not care for people or love them. And you can put all kinds of labels of whatever you wanna put on stuff. You can call stuff systemic racism. You can call stuff politics. You can call it whatever kind of name you wanna call it, but broad is the way. So broad is the hard way, that's hard. It's hard to live a life that is like trying to figure out who's in my echo chamber. And am I gonna block this person on social media or am I gonna mute them? Because if I mute them, then they still think I'm following them, but I'm not really paying attention to what they're saying because what they're saying bothers me and I can't love them based on what they're doing. You wanna talk about the impossible way. Jesus said, difficult is the way that leads to Zoe. Difficult is the way that leads to life. But then as Christ followers, we just kind of go, man, like it, you know, you know, it just shouldn't really be that difficult. There's a Haitian proverb that says, behind these mountains are just more mountains. <laughs> man, we're gonna get through this. You know, you know what we're gonna get through this for? It's like, this is how I feel in life. And, and like, it's like, we're gonna get through all this and then you know what's gonna happen? Something else, <laughs> right? Like, oh, you know, like, oh man, like these, we have two kids now. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Harper just turned one last week. And uh, yeah, we didn't kill her, we made it. <laughs> My gosh, like we didn't, we're, we're not neglecting our children. It's like our kids, like since probably January have been like in some kind of perpetual sickness thing. Like I got my own frustration with allergies right now in my life. And then I'm like, it's like Charlie's got all these allergies, all this different stuff. Courtney texted me right before I got on stage today. She was at lunch with our kids. Charlie ate a French fry, choked on it, threw up all over the restaurant. This is like the mountain right now. So behind this three-year-old mountain is like a five-year-old mountain, and then a 10-year-old mountain, and then a 13-year-old girl mountain, and then a 17-year-old mountain, and then a 20-year-old mountain, and then so on and so forth we go. One day there'll be a husband mountain for me that I gotta deal with, right? There'll be all that stuff. So like raising kids, hey, you know, we're gonna get through this. That don't mean it's gonna get better. There'll just be a different challenge. That's how mountains work. And that's the life actually God, God created us to live that life. And you and I, we spend our life running from that idea that behind these mountains are more mountains. But God says, I've created you to climb a mountain. Just make sure you climb the mountain the right way because you gotta bring people with you. So last week we talked about the Great Commission. We have to make disciples. And the truth is, whether you and I realize it or not, we're making disciples. So what is the way of Jesus? What is the way that is the impossible way, that is the most difficult 
way. It's the way of steadfast love and faithfulness, according to Proverbs 3. The word Jesus uses there to describe love is this love agape. And the way we would define that today for us is love, true love is acting way more than you feel. The word Jesus uses is treating people how God treats you. It's love out of character. You know, God, I want you to understand this today if you've never heard this before, never had this thought. You know, God doesn't love you because of anything you do and you can't really make him mad enough to not love you. That's not, that's just not how his love works. Like you might have felt like you were sinning, whatever that means, last night. You might have felt like you were sinning or you're messed up or you're flawed or you're depraved. How could God ever be for me? God is never not for you. He is always for you. He always loves you. He always wants what's best for you. Why? Because that's just who he is. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who he is. That is the same kind of love God invites us into. That we do not love people because of who they are, how they act, what they do, how they think, where they align, what their whatever decisions are in their life. We love people because we are loving. We just love out of character. You know, when I was a kid, I really love to just do things because I feel like doing them. Like I feel like drinking orange lava burst today. So I probably will at some point. I will go to McDonald's and I will get a high C orange lava burst. Now if you didn't grow up on that, it's fine. I grew up on it and I love it. So most of the things I do in life, I do those things because I feel like doing them. I eat how I eat because I feel like eating that way. I, I, I do what I do whenever I'm not at work, right? You can't do that at work because then like, if you just go, hey, like your boss is like, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? And you're like, I just didn't feel like it. It's like, okay, cool. I guess you didn't feel like having a job either, right? So you can't really do that when, when your pay is involved. But most of the time in life, we'll just do things because we feel like doing them. The way we'll talk to each other is, hey, do you feel like doing this? You feel like going over here? You feel like being at this thing? A lot of times I get invited to parties or like social events, and my response to Courtney, to my wife, is I don't feel like doing that, okay? This is the language that we use. When I was a kid, Pastor Keith started to drill this into me, and it's still something he has to drill into me to this day, that we should act our way into feelings, not feel our way into actions. So we wait for people to be, to be uh, deserving of love before we love them. If you, act if, you like, if you act this way, then I will feel this way about you. So you have to act a certain way in order for me to feel that way. That's how most of us work as human beings. So then we think God is that way towards us, that if you don't follow all the rules, God does not love you. And that is not how God works because God operates in agape love that is love out of who he is. And then he says, that's not hard for you and I, by the way. It's not hard for us, for God to love us no matter what. It might be hard for us to accept, but that doesn't cost us anything. And then Jesus looks at his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 34, and he says, a new command I give you, love people like I've loved you. Like, hang on, you know, that person is a socialist. That person is this. That person is that. That person treated me this way. This, that person did that to me. And I shouldn't have to do that because I don't feel like loving them. So act your way into a feeling, don't feel your way into an action. It's not just 
the voice of Pastor Keith, that's a really great way of putting what God said. And that's agape, love people because it's who you are. You are a loving person, has nothing to do with them. There's this guy named George Crane. And uh, he's a newspaper columnist and a, and a minister and also a psychologist. You can see all his different things on here that he wrote about himself. He's also the most humblest, number one at the top of the humble list. So he tells, he tells of a wife who came into his office and she hated her husband. She said, I don't just wanna get rid of him. I don't just wanna divorce my husband, I wanna get even. Before I divorce him, I wanna figure out a way to hurt him as bad as he's hurt me. So Dr. Crane was like, all right, I understand. Here's what you need to do. Go home, I want you to go home today and I want you to act as if you really love your husband. I want you to tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for like every good thing he's done, every decent trait, every good thing about him. Go out of your way to be as kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Don't, don't spare any effort to please him or to make him happy. Make him believe that you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you can't live without him, drop a bomb on him. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That's really gonna hurt him. So with revenge in her eyes, she's like, this is beautiful, genius. Will he ever be surprised? She went and did it with enthusiasm. I'm gonna give this 100% because I cannot wait to stab this guy right in the heart. <laughs> For two months, he said, uh, Dr. Crane said, Give it, give it 60 days and then I want you to come back and visit me. So for two months she went and listened to him and was kind to him and gave to him and like reinforced who he was and shared with him, told him how, how, how great of a husband he was, even though he's the worst. Since she never called him again, she never called Dr. Crane again. <laughs> Gave her a call at her house and he said, hey, are you, are you gonna get a divorce? Are you ready to go through a divorce? She goes, divorce, you're crazy. Like, I would never divorce this guy. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability, to, the ability to love is, is not uh, just about promises that we make, it's repeated deeds. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in, in uh, Mere Christianity. He says, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets when you are behaving as if you love somebody, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. Man, that's hard. Are you kidding me? There are people I have every reason to not like just like dislike, but I wanna stick it to him for real to this day. Like I'll drive in, I'll drive in my car with you know, Courtney, it's like, I feel like I'm in a safe space, you know? Uh, and I'm like, oh, just this person, you know? She's like, what's wrong with you? You're not being loving. I'm like, that's not why I'm talking to you about this. <laughs> if I want to go get like this act your way into a feeling talk, I'll talk to Pastor Keith, okay? <laughs> My dad's really great at that. I just need someone to like understand me and tell me that it's okay for me to be an idiot. And it's fine. And you're actually right. You know, you should hate that person. She's like, well, you know, I can get that here. It's like, okay. So we go through life and 
you know, it's hard to love. It's a difficult thing. Your life can be wonderful if you love. You won't have as much issues with people as you love. You'll be a lot kinder if you love, but it'll cost you a lot of like pride and, and it'll cost you a lot of your platform and it'll cost you a lot of your, uh, you know, your posturing. And then, and, then, and then there's like this idea of faithfulness. Oh man, like I, Jesus, I can't even do the love thing. Got a whole other thing? I promise I don't have a big long story with this one because this is just, this is just grit. The word, that, the word that Proverbs uses is this Hebrew word, emet. And emet means grit, it means dependability. It means I'm showing up tomorrow no matter what. So how would I define faithfulness for you today? Showing up tomorrow. I don't know what you should show up to, but you should show up to it. Showing up to your marriage tomorrow, showing up with your kids tomorrow, showing up to work tomorrow, that'd be a good idea. You know, we're having trouble with that in society. I don't know if you've seen that. Faithfulness is just showing up tomorrow. You know, um, my great-grandmother, Elizabeth Wood, said this. She said, when we stand before God, this is the person that did 15 years of life in Tibet, seeing very little results. She said, when we stand before God, he won't ask us if we've been successful. He'll ask us if we've been faithful. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then, Proverbs 3 verse 4 says, this isn't my version. Proverbs 3 verse 4 says, you will find success if you never stop loving and you never start quitting. Man, we love quitting though. Quitting's my favorite. I love quitting on working out. Like, I like quitting on people. There's some people I just wanna quit on. I don't wanna do life with them at all anymore. We're really great at that. Jesus says, man, like, Proverbs says, many a man proclaims his own goodness, but a faithful man, who can, who can find? Who can find someone who's just gonna show up tomorrow no matter what? You know what people do? I don't agree with that, I'm out. Peace out, I'm done. I got nothing to say to y'all, I'm out. That's how people live life. Ah, I, don't like, I don't like where this is going. It's too hard. I'm done. I'm grateful that in my life, in my story, I have people like George Wood and Victor Plymeyer who are having heart attacks. I'm like, man, I got to get back. I got to get back to being faithful. I can't let this heart attack slow me down. Their family's dying. Whatever. We'll deal with it. I still got to reach people. I still got to reach people with the gospel. 16 years nothing's happening. One person after 16 years, are you kidding me? Could you imagine giving anything 16 years of your life and seeing very little results and continuing to do that? It's insane to me. But, the, but one of the things that drives me now at this point in my life is this idea of like, I, if Victor Plymeyer can do that in Tibet, I can do that in freaking Frisco, Texas. Are you kidding me? We have chilies here. It's fine. We have orange lava burst. Get one of those anytime. I can deal with my unhealthy relationship to food later, but at least I'm showing up tomorrow. Man, like what does it look like if you and I decide to be a part of something and then we never undecide that? I'm just, a, I'm just in it. I'm a part of it. I'm not walking away no matter what. Like that's how, to me, that's how marriage works. Now I've been married for six years, so it's like whatever. We'll see how it works out in my life. Come back and talk to me in 20 years. See if I feel, still feel this way. 
But I just, I just know I'm showing up tomorrow. I don't know what I'm gonna have to deal with. <laughs> I don't know what my mountain is I'm gonna climb, but I'm not walking away from it. Because it's like the Bible says faithfulness. The Bible says faithfulness to just the things you and I decide. I'm gonna have grit. I'm just gonna make it happen. Whatever it is, I'm all in. Hey, if the ship goes down, whatever, I'm dead anyway, it doesn't matter. Then I get to go to heaven and God's like, man, why'd you spend so much time in Tibet? Like, you know, could have gone and reached the world, but you were like trying to reach one person in Tibet. Well, I interpreted it this way. God's like, oh, well, that's good. Faithfulness is the thing. So God says, because why is this important? Because of last week, we talked about the Great Commission. God says, I want you to make people like you. And you know what the world needs? Some more flakes. The world needs a lot more quitters and a lot more people that walk away when it gets hard. That's what the world needs. I don't know, we've acted that way for a really long time, so maybe we should like change how we act so that we can actually like build a world full of people that are loyal and faithful and honoring and kind. Anybody can walk away from something when it's hard. Are you kidding? That's like literally par for the course. The question is not ever who's gonna leave. The question is who's gonna stay. Like who's gonna be in it to win it no matter what, we're dealing with it. And we're gonna, we're gonna, if we're going through hell, we're not gonna stop. We're not gonna stop. We're in it, like pedal to the metal all the way. That's the time we put the pedal down to the ground. We don't just go, well, I think we should just park here and just hang out for a minute. <laughs> or like maybe find a different route. Like it's the only way out is through. That's what we gotta do. So God, I know that you've, and I don't know what that is for you as a person. I don't know what it is for you as an individual right now in your life. But it's like, God, I'm not quitting on this thing. You better show up. <laughs> I'm putting you in a position, God, where you have to step into my impossible and do the possible. This is an impossible life. If we just go, man, I'm gonna love no matter what. I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna keep showing up tomorrow. The position that I feel like God puts, God, that puts God in for me is he better work here and he better work now because I'm not freaking leaving. I'm not leaving till he comes. I'm not leaving till he shows up. I'm gonna be like Zerubbabel standing at the mountain going, all right, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna stand here. I might die standing here, but I'm not walking away. I'm not gonna turn my back on it. So you heard Pastor Keith say this, and this is our year of possible. How does God step into the impossible and begin to make it possible? It's our job to believe and take action. It's God's job to do the impossible. You know what your faithfulness is a direct reflection of? Your ability to have faith that it's gonna work out. Act as if, take action. Hey, steadfast love, that kind of fits in there because love is action. Jesus said, hey, look, it's cool if you don't wanna do it because most people don't, but the people that do live this thing called Zoe. They live this abundant life that's above anything that they can ask or think. So yeah, it's hard, but choose your heart. It's gonna be hard anyway. You're gonna be climbing a mountain anyway. You might as well climb it the right way and climb the right one. You're gonna be, be navigating difficulty anyway, so you might as well navigate it for the right reasons. Because I'm for you. Like Jesus came so that we could have life and life to the full. And then Jesus says the way to the abundant life is through the affliction of this, the struggle of this, the stress of this, the, the, the constant thinking in our mind of like, God, is this really gonna work out? Like this is where we're sitting as a church right now. Like people are not freaked out. You might feel freaked out, I'm not. But people are like, how are we gonna just make our church about reaching young people? I don't know, it's gonna happen though, because we're gonna do it till it's done. 
We believe so much in the future, we're gonna give it everything that we have and we're gonna be faithful to it. And you know what? If we die trying, we die trying. If we're the Victor Plymeyers where it's like, man, 1949 comes 40 years later, I don't really know if it ever worked out, but then generations from now, what does it look like? If you get faithful, if I get faithful, what does that look like a hundred years from now? I mean, you got a guy that's 33 years old, never, I mean, when Victor Plymeyer died, my parents weren't even born. And I'm up here telling the story of a guy who I'm in his family and I'm up here doing what I'm doing because of the legacy that he left. That's crazy stuff. That's impossible. And what if we all thought that way and God used all of us in that way that we really do change the world? Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Because here's what it starts with. It starts with us choosing this Zoe life. You know, Jesus said, John chapter 10, you heard me say it. John chapter 10, I have come that you can have life to the full. God loves you no matter what, exactly where you're at. Like his love for you is not conditional. It's not based on anything about you. It's based on everything about who he is. So you and I have to say yes to this life. We have to say yes to the life that God wants us to live. And that means choosing to follow the way, to follow the way of Jesus. Whitney said it earlier, John 14, Jesus said, I am the way. We have to choose to follow Jesus' way of living. And what that starts with is by us just right now deciding. So you might be sitting in this room, you might be watching online, and you just know that you're not following Jesus right now. I don't know what that means for you. We wanna give you an opportunity. I'm not gonna embarrass you or do anything weird, but everybody who can hear my voice, just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for being the way. Thank you for the abundant life. From this day forward, I choose the wonderfully difficult way. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.